All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it's, it's, it's almost in the middle of the Bible. Just hit Psalms and uh, keep moving toward the New Testament, uh, flipping, I guess, to, uh, to the right. And uh, if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, it's going to be on page 554 in the Bibles that we've provided there in the rows. So uh, as many of you know, I am uh, the boys' freshman basketball coach at Medford High, and uh, it's hard to believe this is going to be the last week of our season. So just a quick update, we're five and seven, and that's not quite the dreams that we set out with. At the same time, six of our losses have been to two teams, Cambridge, who was undefeated, and Everett, who lost two games to Cambridge, and they only beat us by five about three of those games. So I'm sure we can chalk it up to, you know, poor coaching that we lost those close games. But uh, the season has not been as, 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 as maybe uh, the, the record indicates. It's been a good year. It's been a lot of fun. And, and one thing, you know, that I love about coaching is it's not just the basketball, right, because there's so much more to life than, than, than sports, even for these kids, even though sometimes they don't think that there is. And it's a great time to teach life lessons to them through the game of basketball. But what I'm finding is that it's not only an opportunity for, for me to kind of influence them and to, to, to get to know, uh, for them to get to know me and, and my views on life, but it's also a time for me to learn what they're about, what they're interested in. And so it might not surprise you that the high school students are into video games on the one hand, and they love music on the other hand. So I was really pumped up to hear that one of my players, his name is Dean, on NBA 2K12, he made Coach T as one of his best uh, three-point because you can create players, you know, in the video game. So he made me as a great uh, three-point shooter, made me feel really good, kicking back to the glory days there. Um, but, then, but then also, I, you always notice that, that walking into to practice or going to a game, they always have their headphones on, right? iTouch, iPad, MP3, they're always listening to, you know, some of them have the nice little beats, you know, others like me have the little buds that you just kind of poke in, uh, but, but anyway, they're always listening to these songs, and, and so it, it, our varsity team is kind of taking it to the next level. If you're able to make it to one of our last games of the season, you're going to find that our varsity players have invited this kid in school who is also, I don't know his, his real name is, I just know him as DJ Love, okay? DJ Love, that's what they call him, I kid you not, uh, which I can kind of identify with him because back in the day, my college teammates called me T-Love, um, just in case you wanted to know that. That might have been helpful, that might have been helpful information. Anyway, so, uh, so DJ Love, he is, uh, he's, he's always playing these booming rap songs every single, you know, warm-up, and, uh, and so to kind of get to know where these kids are coming from, occasionally I'll kind of hear a lyric or two and think, man, I'm going to look this song up, listen to it, just to see what these kids are listening to. And I want to bring up a, 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 a song that they listened to uh, for a couple reasons uh, this morning. Number one, because this is what our culture is screaming at us, right? The, the, the content of the lyrics of the songs that we listen to, it's not just rap music, but it's other forms of, of music too, of course. But, but, but to get a pulse on our culture, we need to listen to what the culture lis listens to, right? Not have our heads in the sand. And, and so there's this one song by uh, this rapper, his name's Drake, okay? A AKA Drizzy is what they, what they say, all right? And he has a song called Headlines, all right? And, and, and so just think about this. All right, for the one hand, this is what the culture is screaming at us. And then on the other hand, I want you to go ahead and say, hey, this is what the preacher is screaming at us also in Ecclesiastes. So think about this, these lyrics. Regarding pleasure and alcohol, success and fame, this is what he says. He says, drinking every night because we drink to my accomplishments. 
Okay, so, so, so every night, man, there's reason to celebrate because it's like I win a championship every single day. Just the way that I live my life, the way that I do my thing, we're going to, you know, break bottles open, champagne. We're going to toast to me because, you know, I am famous, successful, and there's reason to just, you know, drink it up every night uh, because of, of how great that I am. Uh, what about wealth? Regarding wealth, this is what he says. He says, I be yelling out money over everything money on my mind this is this kind of i told you i'm a rapper okay um and then and then he and then he goes on and he says i guess it's just me myself and all my millions these are the claims that he makes in the song and then and then finally regarding power this one's really potent he says the real is on the rise this is what they know they know they know they know and so what is what is the real that's on the rise of course it's himself it's Drake. He's on the rise. Everyone knows how awesome he is, how, how successful and powerful and wealthy and prominent he is. You say, Tanner, why, why are you bringing up this rap song this morning? Well, because what, what the culture is screaming in the songs that, that, that is on repeat of kids and college students, even adults, right? listening to these songs. It's what the preacher, I mean, like, you know, today's rap songs were his laundry list almost 3,000 years ago. We've already seen this in Ecclesiastes. He's saying, man, I was the king. No one more powerful than I. I had all of the, the, the pleasure of the world at my disposal. The songs that these rappers sing, they cannot begin to touch the, 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 the resources that he had, the parties that he threw, the pleasure that he experienced in life. And so the, the, the words that, that we find in our culture are, are extremely relevant to, to, to the notions that, that this, this, this quote-unquote preacher, this teacher in Ecclesiastes is continuing to unpack for us week by week by week. And this week, he's going to have some more wisdom to pass on to us. And he's going to teach us a lot about wisdom, work, and worship this week. And so we're going to look at chapter 2 here, verses 12 through 26. And the first piece of instruction that he would want to give us this morning is this, that we need to realize that death equalizes the value of wisdom. This is where he's going in verses 12 through 17. Death equalizes the value of wisdom. Check out verse 12. It marks a change of subject. Here he goes. He says, So I can uh, turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? All right, so he kind of introduced this idea of pursuing wisdom in life, and now he's specifically looking at the value of wisdom over the value of folly. And again, he kind of wants to remind us. He's saying, look, he, he kind of makes this royal claim. He's saying, I'm the king. If anyone's the most qualified to, to lay down an assessment of this search for meaning and satisfaction in life, it's me. Who can add to what I am going to instruct you with in these stories? And so he, he concludes then in, in verse 13, he says, Then I saw, remember, he's, he's an empiricist. He's an experientialist. He says, I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. If you remember, we said the first three verses of the book really set the tone for everything that's going to follow. He opens up in, in verse 2. He says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. 
And then in verse 3, he says, what can man gain by all the toil with which he toils under the sun? So, so what is the preacher after? He's after gain. He's after that which profits in life. And maybe he's on to something here because what does he say? He says, there's more gain in wisdom than in folly. So, so finally, we've, we've come to something of value here. There's value in wisdom. What is wisdom, you ask? Well, I think a helpful def- definition of wisdom is living life according to God's intentions. That's what we find in the Proverbs. It's living life according to God's intentions. Proverbs 1.7 says what? The fear of the Lord, a reverential respect for God and who he is. This is the beginning of wisdom. And boy, do we need wisdom in our life. James instructs us to ask for wisdom when we lack it. The, 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 the heroes in the early church, they were studs. They were, they were described as full of the spirit and of, and of wisdom. So we should want to pursue wisdom. There's value in wisdom. He, he draws this picture in, in verse 14. It kind of has a proverbial ring to it. He says, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Have you ever tried to walk around the dark at night? You're like, it's, it's, just, it's, just a, it's just an invitation to like bang your head, stump your toe, you know, as you're maybe making your way to the kitchen or the, the bathroom or wherever it is that you travel in the middle of the night. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a picture to say, look, the, the, the wise person, he can actually see what's going on around him. He has the, the ability, the discernment to make wise decisions with his life. The fool is like a blind person that cannot see where they're going. So there's, there's value and wisdom, legitimate value. But then, almost as if he's setting us up, he's going to say, look, there's value and wisdom, but there's also vanity. And this is where he goes at the end of verse 14. He says, and I, yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Now, what is the same event? He's, he's again looking forward, and this theme of death continues to surface again and again and again. And what we need to understand from this passage this morning is that death is the great equalizer for all of our best pursuits in life. He's saying, you know what? The same fate is going to happen to both the wise and to the fool. We're all going to die one day. So the, 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 the reality of, of death, it equalizes the value of wisdom. And then look what happens. It's, it's as if he goes from the, genu, gen, uh, the generals to the particular. Because he, he, he moves on and he says in verse 15, then I said in my heart, he's having this dialogue with himself. He's reasoning with himself at the core of who he is. He says, then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. I mean, isn't this how we come to some of life's most significant realizations? We say, oh, that's true for them. That, 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 that's going to happen to them. And then all of a sudden, it's like the light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, oh it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen to me too. That, that's, that's where I'm headed. I'm, 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 I'm singing the same song. I'm part of the same, you know, movement here. And we all have to face this in life. 
when he uses vanity here, if you remember, we said that he uses this vanity, and uh, this word vanity, it's, it's a symbolic word. It means Mr. Vapor, and it's such a, a flexible, dynamic word. It can have different meanings depending on the context, a symbolic word. And so here it's not so much referring to that which is empty or ephemeral, fleeting, although sometimes it has that uh, ring to it. But, but here it's, it's, again, he's seeing, man, life is just, it doesn't add up. It's absurd. It's maddening. It's unreasonable. It's an affront to reason because even the value of wisdom is turned on its head over foolishness. How is that? It's because death is the great equalizer. Both the wise and the fool die. But then he he goes on, added to that, uh, death is the great equalizer because we all will soon be forgotten. Verse 16, look look at what he says. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten, how the wise dies just like the fool. Think about this. Can anyone in here, I'll just take a show of hands. Can anyone in here give me the name of your great, great, great grandfather? Anyone? Raise your hand. Okay, one person. That's, that's impressive that we have one. I mean, does that, does that make the point a little bit? Even our own family, we don't even know their name? Just a few generations removed? I mean, I want us to wrestle with our own mortality here this morning. I mean, this is what the preacher's doing, and, and, and it, even, it even drives him to, the, to this uh, bit of despair. He says in verse 17, so I hated life. Hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and it's striving after the wind. It's like trying to catch the wind. This is, this is how death equalizes it for us. So, so, so this morning, could, could we maybe uh, do what we maybe aren't prone to do? I'm not saying for us to kind of all go morbid here, you know, like day by day, but, but there's something healthy about considering our, our death, right? When we're young, we feel like we're immortal, right? Like we can do anything. We can, we can, we can go anywhere, and, and we're untouchable. And then as the older we get, we start to get the idea, hey, we need to push this back. We need to push our death back as best we can. And so there are all these anti-aging products. I just found out this week that, that marketers are targeting 20-year-olds. 20-year-olds for anti-aging creams. I mean, that's, that's madness to me. I, can't, I, cannot, I cannot believe that. 20-year-olds. But we try to push it back, right? We work out. And I'm not saying it's wrong to, you know, try to get our swole on here. All right, it's good to work out. It's, it's good to, you know, you know, not saying, I know we got some Dunkin' Donuts back there and some of you pass because you got that healthy lifestyle going on. That's a good thing, okay? I'm not, I'm not hating on that. But here's the reality. Death is knocking on all of our doors. It's only a matter of time. We can't keep pushing it back. Whitney Houston died last night. She was 48 years old. That's not very old. Whitney Houston. She can sing. She could sing. So death is, is the great equalizer. No, no, matter, no matter how you, you cut it, this is, this is what's happening here. The, the, the one, one pastor said, no matter how high a person ascends, eventually they're going to descend like the rest of us six feet deep. It's the reality of, of our life. And he's going to go on then in, 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 in verses 18 through 23, and, and he is going to unpack how that not only death equalizes the value of wisdom, but it also equalizes the value of work. 
This is where he goes in verse 18. And so before we get there, I just want to kind of pause just for a minute and say this about just kind of give a theological reflection on the reality of death. What, what the preacher is doing here is he's wrestling with life under the sun and predominantly in his mind, death is the end game. So he's saying, look, from, a, from an earthly, worldly perspective, if, if, this is your, if this is your perspective in life, then here's the reality for everyone. Now, keeping in mind that this, this, this teacher was king over Israel, he, he was part of the covenant community, so he had uh, understanding of the law, and, 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 and to be fair to him, the, the, the realities of eternity and heaven and hell, they are less developed in the Old Testament. Okay? Doesn't mean that they're not there. Okay, we see the, 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 the truths of, of, of justice and judgment and new creation that's coming. I mean, even our verse last week that we, we really meditated on, in his presence is fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forever. I mean, how do we experience that if there's not eternity and the possibility of being together with God forever? So it's in the Old Testament, but it's not quite as prominent. It's not what we see unpacked as we continue on with, with, with the Bible and, and what Jesus teaches us. But it's still even present here. And then the preacher's gonna continue to give us glimpses of, of this eternal uh, reality that, that awaits all of us. He even closes the book with, with the point of it all and this, this coming judgment that, that, that we'll all face. All right, so just kind of keep that in mind as we wrestle, because I know you may be thinking, man, like death equalizes wisdom, death equalizes work, and so, man, is, this, is there not any point to any of this? Is there, is there nothing after this life? And, and that's certainly not what's going on here in Ecclesiastes, and most certainly the Bible. Now verse 18. What does he, what does he say? So maybe, maybe we can find some value and, and wisdom in all this work if... We could pass on our wealth to those who come after us. But then this is what he says in verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So what is he saying here? He's saying all the hours. And put yourself in his shoes for a moment. All the hours, all the sweat, all of your education that's put into your profession. Sorry, grad students and college students. That maybe wasn't encouraging at this point. All of your, your, your strategy and, 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 and all that goes into that. And then everything that you accumulate from that, all of your money, your savings, your possessions, your bonds, your stocks, your 401ks, IRAs, your piggy banks, put it all in there, and guess what? You cannot control, ultimately, any of that. And you'll say, hey, you know, I can write up a will, and maybe, you know, was, is it going to go into the hands of a, of a wise person or a fool? There's no guarantee. And this is what the preacher's wrestling with here. It's, it's not just kind of like there's a 50-50 chance and he's kind of upset about that. It's the unpredictability of it all. Remember, he was the king. He, he, he was the one who could call the shots. Man, if he, if he wanted to throw that party, if he wanted to get in that, you know, uh, industrious project and build these vineyards and plants and trees and national forests and whatever it was, man, he could do it. He could call the shots, snap his fingers, and it was going to happen. 
He could control almost everything in his life. And now he's looking at the end of his life and he's saying, I can't control this. All my work, it, it, it might go for nothing. And he calls it vanity. Verse 20, he says, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. So this, this pursuit of, of work, this pursuit of ultimate lattice, lasting satisfaction in our work, the preacher's gonna say, you know what? It, it also doesn't, doesn't provide what we're really longing for in the depths of who we are. You can be as competent as, and as successful as they come, and at the end of your life, you're gonna leave it all behind and you cannot control what happens to all of those assets. And, and then added to that, he said, look, you know what? You can even be a workaholic. This is a good word for many of us, right? I mean, this is Boston after all, home of some of the most ambitious people in the world. Those who, you know, aren't satisfied with working a 40, 45, 50-hour week, you know, it has to be 55, 60, 70, 80 hours so that we can climb and do our thing and be on top of our game and have the most clout in the company, whatever it is. And he's saying, look, even that, like even, even when you work that hard in, in the night, when you go to sleep, even your heart isn't gonna be at rest. You're not gonna have true lasting peace and life from your work. And so let me, let me ask you this morning, are you, are you seeking to find lasting and ultimate satisfaction in your work? Do you find your identity in your work? I mean, what's the question? How does the question go? What do you do? And how do we, how do we answer that question? I am a pastor. I am a lawyer. I am a banker. I am a designer. I am, and you fill in the blank. And, and I'm not trying to pick on, you know, like just everyday language, okay? I don't want to be too, you know, stringent here. But, 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 it, but it does raise an issue of sometimes, you know, the reality is we do find our identity in our work. What we do defines who we are. And the Bible says what we do is not who we are. First and foremost, we are made in the image of God. For those of us who know Christ, we are a child of God. Jesus defines us, not our work. Our work then is, is because the, Jesus defines us, then our work is influenced by him. Everything we do is, is, is controlled and, and influenced by who he is. And this is where we find, we should find our identity. So, so does your work define you? What about, what about success and productivity in your work? Does that, does that define you? And I must admit, I struggle with this sometimes. You say, you're not supposed to struggle with that. You're, you're the pastor. You're one of the pastors here. Well, well I do. Because I can be prone to work really, really hard. 
I mean, I don't, I don't, no, one, no one's setting my hours. It's just the way it is. I mean, Josh and John and I, like, we try to have some accountability there so we're not becoming workaholics, you know, and neglecting our families and that type of thing. But I'm telling you, I can put in the 50, 60, 70-hour weeks. I can do it. And why do I do it? It's because so often I find my identity in what I do for God instead of who God is himself. You ever do that? You ever think that that's, that's what life's about? You don't just rest? You don't just, just get to know God? Just spend time with God? Just prioritize who God is? Keep everything in order? If it's not the work itself, maybe it's the fruit of those labors, the money that you have, the ability to, to, to buy what you want to buy, to go where you want to go, to eat where you want to eat, to have something saved up so you can pass it on. Here's, here's what he's doing. Okay, this is, what the, this is what the preacher, remember he's wise here. What he's doing is he brings up all of these pursuits in life. Think about it. He's, he's already, I mean, we're just into chapter two here. Okay, chapter two. It's 12, 12 chapters long. And, and what he's done is he's raised, he's looked at pleasure, alcohol, accomplishment, industry, possessions, power, money, silver, gold, treasure, sex, entertainment, wisdom, work, and he's concluded that all of this is vanity and it's a striving after the wind. And, and what is he doing here? What he's doing is he's derailing and short-circuiting these same pursuits in our life. He's saying, look, I've done that. I've been there. I've tried it. It doesn't satisfy And here's the danger for us. I mean, you may be here this morning and you may not be buying that, so you can kind of continue on the experiment and the quest in your own life. I've bought in that it's true. Hopefully you have. But, but, but here's the danger for us. Practically speaking, we can kind of sign off on this, right? We can say, oh, that's true to life. Oh, I, I intellectually sign off on that claim it's it's really all vanity apart from knowing god living for god loving god glorifying god and yet and yet we still wrestle with these same idols in our life right day in day out week in week out we're so tempted to find our joy and our satisfaction and our meaning and our purpose in life in something other than god that is the essence of idolatry. John Calvin, the great reformer in the 16th century, he said, this should be encouraging to you. He said, our hearts are idol factories. What he's saying there is that our, we have an uncanny ability to produce, create idols in our life. Whether we're seeking approval, accomplishment, prestige, power, money, a relationship, whatever it is, fill in the blank. We take the good things that God has made and we pervert them into ultimate things. That's idolatry. Taking good things that God gives and perverting them into ultimate things that take the replace of him in our allegiance and our affection in life. That's an idol. And so maybe to help us identify idols, just here, here, here's a statement for you. 
my life would be complete if only I had this. You fill in the blank. What is it? Is it some of the things that we mentioned? Accomplishment, pleasure, treasure on this earth? We take these things and we make them ultimate, so ultimate that we, that we, we have thoughts like this. If I don't have enough money to buy that new car, my life is less meaningful. For some of us, it may be cell phones. My, my cell phone's almost dead. Thankfully, we have a renewal in a few weeks. Um, help me not to find my identity in my cell phone, Lord. Um, what, what about this one? If I lose that person's approval, my sense of worth goes with it. You ever been there? You ever, you ever fear man more than you fear God? Say this 100% of us at times. What about this one? If I don't find Mr. or Mrs. Right in my life, then my life will be less than fulfilling when it's all said and done. What, what God is saying in, in the Bible, it is saying that you weren't made for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. You weren't made for the finest little toys in this life that one day, as John pointed out, I think last week, just rust and, 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 and we, we play with them for a little while and then they end up in our yard cells. You weren't made for that. You weren't made to, to be, you know, glorious and, 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 and so respected in the world and your company, you know, because ultimately it's, it's not about that, it's about me. God made us to worship him. So here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the, 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 the crazy reality of, of this all, is that these idols that we chase after, here's what happens. They, they end up having a controlling influence in our life. Our life has less worth Less, our sense of identity and purpose in life. It gets, it gets all messed up if you rip one of these idols away from us. And so what happens is these idols become our functional saviors, our functional masters in our life. Thus, we're taking the, the place of God. Some of you may be saying, look, man, I can't identify with the preacher. Man, I'm not having that good of a time. And you know what? I'm really poor. I'm a college student. I'm a whatever. I barely can pay the bills. And you know what? The worship of money, the the idolatry of money, I mean, it can be deeper rooted in our heart than the richest person in the world. That's That's the complexity of idols in our life. And so here, here's the point, okay? Not only give you the point at the beginning of the sermon, here's the point before the, the last point of the sermon, okay? The point is that rather than worshiping wisdom and work, enjoy life as a gift from God. Enjoy life as a gift from God. That's, that's what he's gonna instruct us with in, in verses 24 through 26. He, he's gonna tell us to enjoy life as a gift from God by living for God's pleasure, that's what it's about. Check, check it out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read all three verses. There is nothing better for a person then that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving 
after the wind. So what we have here is what some scholars call a carpe diem passage in Ecclesiastes. There's seven of these that that surface throughout the course of the book. It's kind of like this idea to to, to grab what's in front of you, seize the day, all right, which definitely has some theological, you know, issues with that whole idea. But the idea of enjoying life, and and particularly now with the, the right theological lens, to enjoy life as a gift from the hand of God, whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, whether we're working, this is what we should pursue on a daily basis. So, so, so in your life, I mean, do you take these, 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 these simple gifts that you experience each and every day and, and do you say, God, thank you, this is from your hand. In your work, do you enjoy it and you say, what, you know, God, you've given me this job. This one might be tough. God, you've given me this job. You've given me this task that's set before me. Even if you don't have a job right now, you have things going on in life, you have tasks, and, and, and you're saying, God, thank you for this. This is, this is from your hand. I want to enjoy this. Look, of all people, Christians should find the most enjoyment in life, right? We should have the most joy. We should, we should have the most delight in what we do. Everything that we do, it's, it's not icing on the cake of our life. It should be part of our life just consistently, the fruit of the Spirit, having joy in life. No matter what's going on around us, we can experience enjoyment in life. But then, but then notice how he finishes in verse 26. He says, to the one who pleases God, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. So what does that mean? I mean, ultimately, the, 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 like all the, everything that, 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 uh, unbelievers and the moral, you know, does it end up in the hands of, of the believers? Well, well, kind of, sort of, actually, I mean, yes, in the end, ultimately, because well, what happens is that one day Jesus is going to come back and, 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 and everything belongs to him, right? And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 3? He says, if you belong to Christ, then everything belongs to you, because everything belongs to him. You get it? That's the, that's, the, that's the mysterious kind of like wow, one of those wow factors for, for, for a believer in Christ. But, but to, to, to wrap this up, what John encouraged us with last week is he said, look, rather than pursuing pleasures in this, in this world, pursue pleasure in God. What we want to do this week is say, that's true and yes, but even as we pursue pleasure in God. Let's live for the pleasure of God. You get that? Find pleasure in God and live for the pleasure of God. In other words, whatever it is that you do, live your life to please God. One of my mentors in seminary said, I can, I can summarize my philosophy in life in 10 words or less. All right, so if you want to count them, count them. He says, all that matters in life is that you please God. That's it. All that matters in life is that you please God. And this is what Paul says in Galatians 1.10. He says, For now am I seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is what life's about. This is where joy is found. This is how we live life to God's glory and worship Him. It's by living for the pleasure of God, and we do that by finding pleasure in God. The two necessarily go together. And so you might ask, like, Tanner, how? 
how can I live my life to please God? Here's the answer. Faith. Faith. Just believe. You, you say, that's, that's way too simple. I don't, I don't like it. Just, just believe. Just trust. Just, just place your faith in who God is, in who Jesus is, in all that he is, that he can be all of our Savior. Hebrews 11.6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to what? Please God. And I know there's some friction in some of your hearts saying that that's, that's too simple. Like what about like work and obedience and all this other stuff that we do in life? Well, let me tell you how this works. You know those songs that we sang earlier? God's not so impressed if it's not done in faith. The prayers that we prayed, he's not impressed. He's not pleased if we're not praying in faith. The drive to church this morning, all right? Sorry to go there for some of you. I know the drive to church can sometimes be a little hectic, all right? The drive to church, faith. Tomorrow when you punch the time clock, faith. It's, it's, it's seeing God for who he is and saying, you know what, God? Like, you're the deal. And I'm gonna trust in you and I'm gonna depend on you and I'm gonna live my life for you. And I'm gonna recognize who you are and I'm gonna acknowledge you in all my ways here. And then that necessarily will affect the way that we live our life. That's why it all boils down to faith. So when Jesus is calling people to follow him, what does he say? He says, believe in me. Turn from believing in yourself and believing and trusting in all these other functional saviors and put your faith in me and you will find and have life, abundant life now, eternal life with me forever. That's the ticket. It's faith. So if you're here this morning and you're wrestling with this and you're maybe exploring Christianity, I want to encourage you to, to believe and trust in Jesus and find life in him. He stands ready to give you life. For those of you who may have trusted Christ and, and have life in him, have new life in him and are being renewed day by day, continue to find your satisfaction, your your ultimate pleasure in him by faith each day. What did, what did Drake say? He said, the real is on the rise. Well, let me just share this. He's wrong, okay? He's wrong. The real has already risen. If, if the preacher is, is, is saying death is the, the ultimate equalizer in life, what happens in the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ is that death is dealt with and defeated and is dead. So through faith in Christ, now we can have life. That's what is real and ultimate and lasting and satisfying and completely pleasurable. Let's live for him this week. Father, thank you so much for our time in your word. And Father, I, I know, I, I, have, I have idols in my own life. They surface. And God, we need your grace to turn from our idols, turn from trusting in them, and placing our trust in you. And so Father, wherever we are before you, you, you know that better than even that we do. And so God, would you just kind of show that to each person here today? Would you show us where we're trusting in, in that which will not ultimately satisfy us? And would you, would you lead us to that place where, where we would place our faith and our trust in you? 
we would worship you with our lives every single day. Lord, help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.